also you are saved if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Now let's skip down to verse 12. We're going to deal with verses 3 through 11, but I want us to look at verse 12, and let's read there. And Paul says, he says, Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up if, in fact, the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep, and falling asleep doesn't mean taking a nap, it means dead. Then those who have fallen asleep who are dead in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable or the most miserable. And verse 20 says this, but now Christ is risen from the dead. Amen? Hallelujah. Let us pray together. Lord God, we thank you so much for this day that you give us to come together to worship your name, Lord God, to be able to be reminded of the gospel and the truth of your resurrection, my God. And I pray that you would give me wisdom, Lord God, that you would use me to speak unto each person that is in this place today. And I pray for the hearers of your word today, God, that they would be not only hearers of your word, but doers of your word. And I pray these things in Jesus' good name. Someone said... You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Praise the Lord Jesus. And so first of all, I just want to, I want us to do something I think is really important. I want you to give a hand to all of our guests. Can you give a hand to all of our guests? Guests. We want to thank each of you that has never been here before and, you know, for coming and sharing with us today. And we hope that your time has been edifying and we really, really appreciate you coming. I have some really good friends here in the back. I won't call them out by name, but, you know, just look back there. Look there. Look right there. They're right there. I, really, I, I appreciate them. And I, I just appreciate everybody else who came as a guest for the first time. We really thank you for coming and sharing what I have called. If you received an invitation card on the outside of the invitation, it said, come and celebrate with us the most important day in history, right? And so the resurrection is the most important day in history. And by the way, I know I didn't say this, but if you don't have an outline, raise your hand. Raise your hand if you need an outline. Outlines are really important. You can take notes. You can write stuff down. Just slip it up there. The usher will get you one if you don't have it. You can also follow along with me for the first couple of, of minutes here in the message. But um, today we celebrate the most important day in history. And what I want you to realize is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is in my opinion, the most, most important day. Now, some would say, and I was talking to my dad yesterday, I had a great time with him, and as I was sharing with him, you just keep your hand up, the ushers will walk around and get you the, get, get you the outline if you need one. And my father and I were talking about this, and what I was telling him is that I firmly believe that the birth of Jesus is very important. How many would say amen? Because if there is no birth, there is no life. If there is no life, there is no death. If there is no death, there is no resurrection. Amen? So I'm not, I'm not invalidating any other part of Jesus' life. What I am saying is that if the resurrection does not occur, it invalidates all of what Jesus is all about. If the resurrection doesn't happen, it invalidates him being the son of God. If it's one thing for someone to come on the scene and do miracles. I mean, that's pretty amazing. Amen? 
I'm just saying, like, you know, you see people get up who have never walked before. You see people come out of wheelchairs. I mean, in our day, that's what would be happening, right? Jesus is walking on the scene. That's pretty amazing. But if the person who was being utilized to do that says, I'm someone great, and then dies and never comes back, he's like, yeah, he was someone great. It is something totally different when that someone who was doing those amazing miracles, lived this perfect life, does something else that is absolutely impossible, which is come back to life. So the resurrection is, to me, the most important day of history. Now, as we read our Bibles here, the reason why I had us jump to verse 12 is because this book is written, for those of you that don't know, the, the reason why it's called 1 Corinthians is because it is one of the letters that was written to the Corinthian people or the people who lived in Corinth, and so it's called Corinthians. And those people were the original recipients of the letter, and they were educated Greeks. They were into philosophy. They wanted to be deep and knowledgeable, and they, wanted, you know, they, they, they were a lot like the people in our days. Amen? You know, real smart people, real educated people. And so the issue with these people is that they did not believe in things they couldn't substantiate. So if they couldn't substantiate something, they weren't going to wholeheartedly embrace it. And one of their great issues was the resurrection of the dead. Because many of them believed in something called dualism. And what dualism taught, or what dualism still teaches, and you know, some people who are into, you know, spirituality, what you learn or what you think, you know, is that everything in the natural, this is evil, right? And so what happens is once I die, I am set free from evil. That's what they believe. And so why would I want to be resurrected if everything that I was was evil? And so what happens is these people didn't believe in the resurrection of the body. And so Paul is making an argument or he's making a declaration and he's trying to help us Paul is the writer of this book and he's trying to help the Corinthians understand and believe in the resurrection of the dead and so what the apostle Paul does his letter confronts this head-on he doesn't you know tiptoe around it but he deals with it directly and it's important for us to realize something and this is very important especially on today because we celebrate the the resurrection of Jesus and it is that men throughout history have tried to disprove the resurrection beginning with the religious leaders who paid the guard at the tomb of Jesus to lie about the body of Jesus being taken away by his disciples. Understand that all throughout history, men have tried to deny the reality that Jesus is the resurrection, that Jesus did resurrect. And they have a bunch of different theories that, you know, I won't get into all of them, but some people will say that Jesus didn't really die, that he just passed out because of exhaustion. And then when he was in the tomb, the cool breeze came through and woke him up. Hello. I'm just saying, that is not what the scriptures teach. The scriptures are very clear that they shoved a spear in his side, and when that blood and water came out, it was proof that he was dead. He was dead as dead can be. He was beaten, he was bruised, and then he laid in that tomb, and he rose on the third day. And so we celebrate this, but men have not wanted us to believe in this, because when the resurrection is real, you and I have to make some decisions. Hello? We have to make some decisions for Jesus or against Jesus. And please know this, that there is no such thing, and I say this often, there is no such thing as someone who does not respond to the message of the gospel. You either accept the gospel or you reject the gospel. There is no in-between. And so it's important for us to think about this resurrection. So the first thing that I want us to do in thinking about this most important day of history is this, and and, and this is the first thing I ask you to repeat this after me. Say, we must seriously... Consider the implications of the resurrection being a lie. 
We must seriously consider the implications of the resurrection being a lie. And so what the Apostle Paul does is he breaks down what are these implications. And so he was, he, he was not just dealing with the resurrection of Jesus. Again, he was dealing with the resurrection of all mankind. And so if there's no resurrection, look what he says. We just read this again together. He said, now if Christ is preached, this is verse 15, I mean chapter 15, verse 12. He says, now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some say that there is no resurrection among you? Again, they couldn't substantiate it. They didn't want to believe in it. So some were saying there's no resurrection of the dead. They believed in the resurrection of Jesus, but not the resurrection of all mankind. He says, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. So the first implication, if this resurrection that we celebrate today is a lie, is what? Is that Christ is not risen. If there is no resurrection, then Christ is not risen. He goes on to say in verse 14, he says, if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty. In other words, our preaching is pointless. Our preaching is vain. There is no reason to preach the word of God if Jesus is not raised up. That is what he is communicating here. The next thing he says, not only is our preaching empty, but your faith is also empty. So for those of you that are believers, if Jesus isn't resurrected, the preaching is is, is not necessary and 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 your faith in God is also empty. It has no end to it. He goes on to say in verse 15, he says, yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up if in fact the dead do not rise. In verse 16, he goes on to say, for if the dead do not rise, he reiterates this, then Christ is not risen. He says, and if Christ is not risen, he He reiterates again, your faith is futile, but here is this, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. In other words, if Jesus doesn't rise from the dead, this is what he's saying, a dead Savior can't save people. A dead Savior cannot give you hope. A dead Savior cannot give you life. And so he says, these are these implications that are there. And he goes on to verse 19 and he says this. And he says, I'm sorry, verse 18. He said, then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. So here it is. If there is no resurrection, then Christ is not raised. If he was not raised, then the gospel doesn't need to be preached. If there is no gospel, then you and I have believed in vain, if you believe, and we are still in our sins. And if there is no resurrection, then believers who have died have no hope. So understand this. How many of you have been to a funeral? Raise your hand. Somebody that you love, right? Maybe I'm thinking maybe you went to a funeral for someone that you love and hope, hoping that you will see them one day, right? And so when the preacher got up there, usually what the, what the pastor or the speaker does is he tries to bring comfort to the hearers because they are usually hurting. And so one of the greatest comforts that we have as Christians, think about anyone you love, grandma, grandpa, mom, dad, you know, brother, sister, whoever it is, husband, wife, your children, if we, if we have one hope That hope is this. It is that when someone dies in Christ, hear what I'm saying. When someone dies in a relationship with Jesus, when someone dies in faith in Jesus, we know if we believe in Jesus that we will see them again. That is a hope that we have. It doesn't necessarily stop our tears, I'm just saying. We may still cry because of the loss of that person, but we have a hope that we can look forward to. And what Paul says, he says, no. He says, there is no hope. They fell, they fell asleep. They died, and that's it. It's over. So what, what he's communicating is he's saying there are some real implications for us in the gospel. And lastly, if you're, if you're a Christian and the resurrection isn't for real, then you are the most pitiable 
That word pitiable also means the most miserable of all people. Because what happens is if you are a believer in Jesus, then that means that you live your life to do what? To bring glory and honor to Jesus. You live your life looking forward to the day that you will stand before him and you want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. That is the way that you live your life. You live your life opposed to sin. You live your life in a way that brings honor and glory to God. Why? Because you don't want to experience eternal judgment because you are grateful for the sacrifice that Jesus has made and you want to stand before him and have him say to you, you have done all that I've called you to do. And if Jesus is not rise, if he did not raise rise from the dead, then that means that you are living a miserable existence on this earth because you really have nothing to look forward to. If we look at the greatest implication, the resurrection, if, if the resurrection is a lie, you know what it does? It makes all religions equal. If the resurrection is a lie, all religions are equal because really then religion is just about what? Just about being moral. It's just about doing your best with what you believe. There is no need to make a difference between Christianity and any other religion. There's no need to do that. If, if the resurrection is a lie, then that means to us that all beliefs really are irrelevant because what? Once we die, we die and it's over. If the resurrection is a lie, then the worst thing of all is that Christianity has been the best lie that was ever told. Listen to me. If the resurrection is a lie, 2,000 years of that lie has been going on and people are still believing this lie. But the truth of the matter is, is that it is not a lie. The truth is, Jesus is risen. Now, I don't want you to just take my word for it because I like for us to look at the scriptures and look at what else happens here. Say this with me. We must equally consider the proof and implications of the resurrection being true. So the first thing Paul does, look at verse 20. He says, but now Christ is risen and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now go back up. I told you we deal with these other verses. Let's look at verse 5. And it says there, and he, and that he was seen by Cephas. Now what Paul is doing is he is communicating who saw Jesus. So how do we know that Jesus has been resurrected? How do we know this? What, 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 what proof do we have? Well, the first thing is Paul goes through a list of people. And the first thing he says here, he says, and that he, speaking of Jesus, was seen by Cephas. Cephas is Peter. That's, just his, that, that, that's, that, that's another name for Peter there. And it says, then by the 12. So we see, first of all, that what? He was seen by Peter, and he was seen by the other apostles. Verse 6 says this. He says, and after that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once. Now, now look what he says here. All right, this, this, this becomes so important for you and I. Who saw him at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. Now, time out for a minute. See, it's one thing for me to say that Jesus is risen based on this document that you can't go back and research. Okay, That's one thing for me to say that. But I want you to understand who Paul was writing to. He was writing to people who were what? He was writing to people who were alive at the same time that people were alive who saw Jesus. And what he is writing is he is saying, listen, go and ask them. That's what he's pointing out to them. He is telling them in their day, it's like someone saying, hey, man, if you go to this corner, you go right here, you are going to find this. You can go look for it now. It's not a historic place. It is a place that is real. It is a place that exists. And if someone goes over there and looks over there and finds that it's not there, guess what you are? A liar. 
But what Paul was saying, he was putting his money where his mouth is, and he was like, look, you can go talk to Cephas because he's still alive. You can go talk to the other apostles. They're still alive. But you know what you can also do? Don't just talk to them because they really hung out real tight with Jesus, but go look at the other 500 people, which most of them are still alive. You can go talk to them, and you can find out for their resurrection. And so obviously, you and I can't go back because those people died a long time ago. But we can look at the evidence that is there in the scriptures that gives us proof that what? That Jesus really was alive. But it doesn't end there. He goes on to say, he says in verse 7, he says, After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Now, when he says James, who is he talking about? He is talking about James, his brother. Now, this is another important thing, and I'm going to tell you why. When you read the Gospels, you're going to find something. You will find that Jesus' brothers, and yes, Jesus, Mary, Mary did have more children. Amen? I'm just saying, someone asked me that question this week, and I was like, yes, Mary had more children with Joseph after, say after, after Jesus was born. And so Jesus had brothers, right? Half brothers, really, because, you know, Mary was the same mom, but Joseph was not Jesus' father. God was Jesus' father, right? But here's the thing. Jesus comes back during the time that he starts preaching, his ministry starts happening. And if you read the Gospels, you find that his brothers do not believe he is the Savior. They do not believe that he is the Messiah. Why is that important for us in this context? Because James, after the resurrection, believed in Jesus because of what Jesus had said. It was not until after the resurrection that James not only became a believer, but he became, one of the, he became one of the main leaders within the church in Jerusalem. You read the book of Acts, and you see that he was one of those voices. He wrote the book of James. And so that's a really important thing. And then in verse 8, he says, Then last of all, he was seen by me also by one born out of due time. And so what Paul does is he points to all of these people that have seen Jesus, and then he points to his own salvation. And let me say this, one of the greatest and most important testimonies to the resurrection of Jesus is that 2,000 years later, he is still changing people's lives. 2,000 years later, he is still saving people. As we sang this song, we will overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. We are making a declaration because Jesus saved us. And if he hasn't saved you, he wants to save you. I want to invite my aunt, Brenda Castillo, to come up here. She's going to share for a couple of minutes her testimony and, and, and as a witness to the resurrection of Jesus. Put your hands together for her. Good morning. God bless you. My testimony is just so we could see the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen. Every time I give testimony, I get very humble and I feel like crying because of what God has done in my life. At the age of 12, I started using drugs, and that didn't stop until 30 years later. I decided to stop using drugs because of a homeless man that preached to me the gospel. As I started walking with God, I was poisoned with a real deadly drug called crystal meth. This drug destroyed my kidney, my liver, and my pancreas. I was in the hospital for three months. But this homeless man had so much faith in God I didn't. He had so much faith in God that he would just sit there 24 hours, seven days a week, just praying and praying, and he would read scriptures to me. Three months later, later the doctors came, and they said, Brenda, I don't know what has happened to you. You have been healed. This homeless man, he rose from his chair. He says, Jesus has healed her. After that, 
I had to learn how to walk because all my muscles from my waist down were broke, you know, they were broken due to the crystal meth. And I did all kinds of drugs from marijuana to heroin. That was really a chronic crack addict for 19 years. I lost my memory for 10 years. So there is power in the resurrection. Amen. Today I am a chaplain for the Salvation Army in Miami and I have a prison ministry that's been going on for five years. I have a girl guard ministry and it's all the glory to God because without the blood of the lamb and the resurrection of Christ, I could have not done this. Amen. So if you have... Glory to God. So if you have children, daughters, brothers, husbands, wives, whoever that is in drugs or any kind of addiction, trust God. Because if a homeless man preached to me, and I am here giving the glory to God today, how much, are, how much more can he do if you stand in prayer to the Lord? God bless you. Amen. Amen. A dead Savior can't do stuff like that. Amen? Amen? And I could have at least 15 other people up here. I won't do it for time's sake, but I could have at least 15 other people up here come and tell me about how God saved them, how God healed their marriages, how God saved their children. I'm a product. I was a kid that was gangbanging and living life wild, and my mother got saved, and she, and she prayed, crying. I always say it. She gave me life twice because she gave birth to me in a delivery room, and she gave birth to me in a prayer closet as well because she prayed because she knew her son was going to hell. She knew her son was going to experience eternity separated from God, and she didn't want that. But that doesn't happen with a dead Savior. Amen? Amen? If the resurrection is true, here's what happens. Then that validates the gospel. And what that means is that each of us is going to give an account for what we did with the gospel. If the, if the, if the resurrection is true, now we looked at what would happen if the resurrection was not true, right? We saw what would happen if the resurrection isn't true, all of these negative things. But now we honestly have to consider and look at these testimonies of people that are in the scriptures, testimony of my, of my aunt here, testimony of other people. And Jesus is still saving people and changing people's lives. And so that resurrection is real. So that means that every person that has ever heard this gospel preached is going to have to give an account for what they did with this gospel. Repeat this after me. Say, we must realize the value of faith in a resurrected Savior. We must realize the value of faith in a resurrected Savior. You see, here's the truth. The truth is we live in a day that we don't want to do anything that doesn't add value to our lives. Is that not true? People don't want to do stuff if, you know, going to church, you know, they don't want to go to church if it doesn't add value to their life. They don't want to go to a gym if it doesn't add value to their life. They don't want to eat certain foods if it doesn't add value to their life. Well, some of you like the taste of it. But anyway, the point is that's the value. Your taste buds experience great value. So ultimately, we are those kind of people. We don't want to do things that don't add value to our life. Why do you think all of these infomercials, you know, all these people trying to, you know, do those get, get, get rich quick businesses, what do they do? They try to tell you about the value that's going to be added to your life because if you do this business and you become whatever, wherever, however, then what's going to happen? You're going to do this vacation. You're going to drive that car. A, B, C, and D. What are they doing? They're telling you the value of their product. 
And here's the thing that I want you to realize. I would never sell Jesus as a value, as something added or a bonus to your life. The Apostle Paul would not do that. What I will tell you is this, is that Paul says this, and if you look back at your Bible to the book of, I mean, in verse, verse 3, it says, for I, to, for I delivered to you first of all. When he says first of all, what he is saying there, literally what that means in the Greek, it literally means I delivered to you of first importance. When Paul went to preach to the, to the Corinthians, the same way that I preached to you week in and week out, the first thing, the thing that was most important that you get out of every message is what? It is the truth of this gospel. The gospel isn't something that is an added bonus to our lives. It is the very thing that we need in order to experience real life. He says, for I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received. And here is the gospel, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures and that he was seen by these people. Now hear me. When we talk about the gospel, the gospel is right there crystal clear. It is what? Is that Jesus comes into this earth. He is born of a virgin and he lives a sinless life. And what that means is he lived a life of perfection. He never lied. He never stole. He never lusted. He never did anything wrong. He was the perfect man. And the reason why he did that was because none of us can be perfect. He lived this perfect life. And what he did was living this perfect life, he dies on the cross. And you, don't, you and I don't really grasp the gravity of why this is so important and why the cross matters until we come to terms with the reality that it was your sin, it was my sin that put him on that cross. It was my sin that nailed Jesus to the cross. It was my lying, my lusting. It was my bad attitude, my foul mouth, my ungodly behavior. It was my... My way of being that put Jesus on the cross. But every one of us has to understand this, that Jesus had to die for us. He had to die for us because we are what the Bible calls sinners. Everyone in this room, and many of us don't want to hear this because many of us think that we're good people. Many of us think that, man, I'm a good person. I'm not hurting anyone. I'm not murdering anyone. You know what I love, though? The Bible gives us a test for good people. It's called the Ten Commandments. It's real simple. For those of you that have been through, you know, um, Evangelism 101, you know this, right? Have you ever told a lie? Yes. Right? Everybody in here has told a lie. I'm just saying, have you ever told a lie? Yeah, I'm pretty sure, right? Maybe, maybe you stole something. I probably, maybe not, you know, recently, but, you know, you might have lied on something, you know, whatever, taking something you shouldn't have taken. Hello? Right? I'm just saying. Have you ever lusted? The Bible says don't commit adultery, and Jesus says that if you look on a woman with lust in your heart, then what does that make you? An adulterer. Okay, so for all of you good people, you are now liars, thieves, and adulterers. You're not so good, are you? Not by God's standards, we're not good. God shows all of us by his standards, we are all failures in the area of being good. Yeah, but I do this good. It doesn't matter. But I do that good. It doesn't matter. Why? Because God is not just good. He is perfect. He is holy. He is separated from sin. My goodness can never appease him. I can never do enough good for him. That is the reason why Jesus died. 
He dies because I cannot be good enough. And what he does is he says, he shows us in the word of God. When we talk about this resurrection, the Bible says something very clear. There are two types of resurrection. There's the resurrection of the just and the resurrection of the unjust. And what just and unjust is, just, those are the people that have put their faith in Jesus. And they are resurrected, meaning that at the end, they come, you know, their, their bodies catch and meet, you know, God up in heaven. And when they come to this resurrection day, they meet him, they come, and they're with him for eternity. But then there is the resurrection of the unjust. The unjust are those who have said they don't need Jesus. The unjust are those who have said they're okay without him. They're all right living their lives. The unjust are the ones who say they don't need this gospel. This gospel doesn't need to be of first importance in my life. And the Bible says that they will be resurrected to condemnation. They will be resurrected to death eternal, a separation from God for all of eternity. But please hear me. That is the bad news of the gospel. The bad news is that if you try to do it on your own, it will not be good enough. The bad news is you have sinned against God, meaning you have broken God's laws. And the beauty of this is that although you are stuck by yourself on your way like I was to hell, guess what? Jesus died. He died so that way you and I wouldn't have to experience eternity separated from him. He died so we could experience eternal life. God doesn't want to just come and fix an area in your life. He wants to fix your heart for all of eternity. He wants to fix your heart for all of eternity. When we put our faith in a resurrected Savior, here's what happens. The beauty of it is, is that God offers us real salvation. You want to ask me what the value of Jesus is? It is that he offers you real salvation. What I mean by that is that he forgives you for real. He cleanses you for real. He removes the sin stain from your heart for real. He removes those things that separate you from him. Are you perfect? Not automatically. But he does not look at you as he used to see you when you were a sinner and and an enemy of his he offers us real salvation he offers us a real opportunity for relationship with him he offers us not just real salvation he offers us real hope he gives us real hope I told you about the hope that we have if you know Jesus and someone you died has gone to be with the Lord then you have a hope that you're going to see them amen You have a hope for the future. You have a hope that when you go and stand before God because of what Jesus did and because you put your faith in that, there is real hope that you will not be ashamed, but that you will be able to stand there and be welcomed into his kingdom. There is real hope in Christ. You live your life out of a place of real hope, not that I hope I do enough good to outdo all my bad. Listen, we will never do that. We will never do how, how do you even know? I don't even understand how people try to live like that. Like, I'm going to do enough good things to outdo all the bad things that I did. Do you really think that's possible? It's impossible. We cannot do that. He offers us real salvation. He offers us real hope. And he offers us real life with meaning and purpose. Real life. He doesn't just want us to look to the future and look to when we meet him in glory. He wants us to live for that. But he wants us to live this life for his glory. He wants us to live this life with real purpose, with real meaning, with real understanding as to why am I here on this earth. And here's the the reality. We must accept the truth of the gospel, the good news as well as the bad news, to experience the value that Jesus offers us by changing our hearts. Everyone in this place has to make this decision. Do I really believe that I'm a sinner who needs a savior. Do I really believe that Jesus died for my sins? There's a lot of times it's easy to look at my neighbor and be like, yeah, he died for you for sure. 
I'm saying it's really easy to say, yeah, I can see why he died for him and died for her. And you hear my, my, my beautiful aunt's testimony. You're like, oh, I know why he died for her. But I'm not them. Listen, no matter how, bad, how, how good you are, no matter how bad you think other people are, you're not good in God's sight. But he wants to make you right. He wants to make you his. But you can't be his until you ask, until you recognize I'm not his. Until you recognize my sin separates me from him. Until you recognize he did for me what I could never do for myself. Today we're celebrating the most important day of history. And the one who made history, his name is Jesus Christ. And here's the beauty of it is of this, is that 2,000 years ago, around that time, he made history. And you know what is awesome? He's still making history. The question is this, has he made history in your life? Has he made history in your life? If he hasn't made history in your life, and what I mean by that, if you haven't put your faith in him, today is an opportunity for you to do that. Let's bow our head and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, today I come before you, Lord God, and I